food transcends language, transcends differences. You can get all different kinds of people sitting down. So if you take the joy out of all of the food, I think as a society, it's going to make us less gregarious. It's going to make us not want to be as social. Brothers were fighting against brothers because their beliefs are so different. They forgot. And I think that comes back to, well, let's sit down and have dinner together. You know, and let's forget all that. And let's just enjoy good food, have a drink, relax, be happy, and think about all the good things we have rather than dwell on what could be with somebody else or what was or who caused what. Hello, Dennis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Alex. I'm happy to be here today with you. I'm in、uh, New Jersey now. I moved up from Florida last week, so I'm enjoying the weather up here rather than the heat everyone in Florida is facing right now. There's a huge heat wave now in Spain, and I'm suffering it, even though here in the north where I live, it's not as bad, but it's still not as good as it could be. I'm suffering what I think you are complaining about. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're fortunate right here. It's not quite as hot, but they said. Temperature-wise, in Fahrenheit, it was going to be a heat index of 110 in Florida today. Which I was in Madrid a few years ago, and that's what it was when I was there. But that was the actual temperature, not the heat index. What about if you give a short explanation of who you are, what's your background,、okay. how you build ChefDennis.com, and all that cool stuff that you have done? Sounds good. Yeah, I was a chef. I still am a chef. I always say that I am a chef. I will always be a chef. And during the course of my career, I had some injuries that kind of made me move out of cooking into management. And one way or another, I always ended up back cooking because I didn't like the food how it was being produced or the flavors or anything. So I was at a school, and I was kind of facing my retirement there. I was just going to take it easy and live a better life because I didn't work as much, and the food was horrible. So I had to start cooking again. A few years into cooking for 600 high school girls, I was feeding. A few years into it, I decided I would start training my own staff because every time I needed people to help me for parties, I'd hire temp workers, and they were not very good. So I started training my own staff. So I started a culinary program, which turned out to be really, really successful. And in the course of that, I decided to start a blog. This was 2009, and blogging was very new back then. I went to the IT department at the school, and they set me up with a blog, and I started as a resource for my students to go to, so I could share recipes there with them. They could ask me questions. We could still communicate, and it never worked out where my students wanted to go, but other students in the school and the teachers started going there, and then I joined a bloggers organization called Food Buzz, and it was international. So I started picking up friends all over the world. And seeing all these amazing foods from all over the world, and it kind of reignited my passion again for food. And I was a horrible blogger at first. It was ugly, and it was just all these stories we used to tell, and things went on. So as time progressed, and I really got my first big break with Google on Google Hangouts. I was doing Google Hangouts, and Google, because I was using the platform the way they intended. They rewarded me, and they put me on the follow list with Anthony Bourdain, Martha Stewart, Emeril Lagasse, all these big guns in the food business. And here was Chef Dennis, and I'm like, I don't know how this happened. So at one point, I had over a million followers on Google Plus before it went bye bye. That really pushed me into building the business the way it has because I was doing things how Google wanted you to do it. With my blog, following their guidelines, and I never got hit by the Google algorithm changes. I finally had one hit last November. That was the first one I've had, but I have never gotten penalized for anything because I was doing what Google wanted. Google wants this. We depend on our income from Google, so do what Google wants. Don't sit there and whine and complain that oh, I hate them making changes. Why can't they leave alone? Well, hey, it's free. And you're making money, so do what they want. So that's been kind of the course I've had, 
and it's worked out really well. And now I rank in the top 25 of food bloggers in the United States and the top 35 in the world. So I can't complain. Cool. So I understand that you, by adapting to what the algorithm wanted, to what the guidelines imposed or suggested by Google, were able to maximize how well-treated you were by the platform. Yes. It's staying on top of things. Like they don't want these pop-ups coming up. So you get rid of the pop-ups. You know, they wanted to see you. And I would tell my other blogger friends to put a picture of themselves. They want to see both eyes. They want to see your face. And back then it was, oh no, I can't show who I am. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's crazy. You know, people want to see you so they can trust you. It's a trust factor. And I've always had a lot of people who would tell me what the right things were. So because of Google Plus, like I had a friend in Greece, David Amerlan, he wrote Google Semantic Search. He's just brilliant. And I didn't understand a lot of what he said, but you know, I would try and do follow the guidelines that they set up. So yeah, it's done well for me. And even with Facebook, you know, you can sit here and complain about them or you can use the platform. Complaining isn't going to do anything. A big part of it, I think, is just doing your craft and feeling the passion of it without oh, yeah. really going into politics. Don't you think that just trying to improve your craft the most you can and just focusing on it without getting into nasty things, maybe related to politics or religion, you just do your cooking thing, you love it, you share the love with the world, that's a healthy community. But when you get into to some other things, which yeah. this platform might be the optimal for because... There's a change of mind. Oh, but, yeah. But when you are doing cooking, you are doing cooking. Cooking is cooking. Do you know the meme that math is math? Well, never mind. Oh, yeah. I, I know. Math is math. Yeah, I understand. And that's exactly right. And I've gotten to the point in my life, you know, I would argue more when I was younger. My wife says I am the kinder, gentler chef, Dennis. My debating skills are not good because I would just tell you you're wrong and move on. <laughs> but as you said, yeah, everybody's entitled to their opinion, whether it's right or wrong. And your view doesn't matter. You know, we can all get along as a people if we put that aside, not try and convert everyone to our way of thinking. Now, with food, all I want to do is serve you something that will make you very happy and make you satisfied and make you, you know, bring out those joyful endorphins from your body because you're eating something delicious. Mm. You know, that, that, that's, that's my only goal in life at this stage. But isn't that dangerous? Because we're basically primates that are not adapted to our current environment. If you were trying to maximize how many endorphins my brain segregates, you would go into things that have a lot of fat, salt, sugar, and it would make the addiction get progressively created. Wouldn't that be a sort of conflict of interest in which businesses that want you to consume the most possible will create the things that hijack your limbic system so that your maladaptation is monetized by the businesses? Or do you think there's a way of avoiding this conflict of interest and just generate a net positive interaction? Well, absolutely. Because if you want to eat a certain way, I'm not going to try and convince you to eat otherwise. It's your body. It's your right. And as I've gotten older, my views on fat and sugar have changed because you have to, or you're just, you're going to die sooner. Yeah. I don't bake much anymore. I have someone who bakes for me now and does my recipes because I don't want to eat the whole cake, but you're absolutely right. Now I prefer to eat simply, mm. which is meats, seafood, roasted, grilled, salt, pepper, a little olive oil, maybe a few fresh herbs. That is the Mediterranean way of eating. I love that. On occasion though, you want to delve into something just to break the monotony. Like I don't think a sauce is always the answer because sometimes a sauce will just hide the flavor, you know, and you're tasting the sauce rather than the flavor. But every now and then to mix something up or to change something, you know, changing the ingredients up and maybe adding a little more fat than you normally would isn't a bad thing. It's all moderation. You don't want to form that addiction, like you had mentioned, where your body wants sugar constantly. In Americans, oh, we love sugar. Sugar is in everything. One of the things I notice when I eat in Europe, when I go to Europe and I eat, I don't gain weight because it's more natural. 
we don't have the preservatives. When I'm in the U.S., you have to really be careful. And we eat out a lot in the U.S. too. So on my blog, one of the things I teach is sourcing ingredients. If you can make it at home, you can control what goes in it. So if I'm making something that has heavy cream, you can swap that out for Greek yogurt sometimes. You can swap that out for a lighter version of that. If it doesn't need the cream, you, know, you can make those changes. If you don't want as much sugar, you can cut the sugar out completely or use a sugar substitute. So when I was a chef, my thoughts on making changes to my recipes was much different. It was, no, you eat it the way I give it to you. As a blogger, I went, no, you make it the way you want it to be. It's your food. It's your body. So I try to offer alternatives now for people to use. I mean, I only cook with olive oil. The avocado oil is being very popular now in the U.S. For, for health reasons. So there's a lot of things that I'm open to making the change with. So, okay. yeah. Like you said, it can be a little bit of a conflict if you're not willing to adapt. Yeah, because there's a, in economics, there's a term that is the tragedy of the commons. And I think that something similar occurs here. No matter what you do in your business, the acting of other people will not be modified. So no matter how much salt and sugar and grease you put into your food, the other people will keep putting the amounts of things that they would have done. So you knowing that your acting will not change the other people's acting will make you want to do the thing that will maximize your revenue. Not you as Dennis, but I mean the whoever mm -hmm. we're analyzing. And I think that a tragedy of the commons happens here in which everyone tries to maximize the amount of limbic hijack. But in the long term, if everyone reduced the amount of limbic hijack to 50%, everything will be much better foods could be much healthier, much cheaper, but yes. well, maybe not much cheaper. How do you think there's a difference there between the cost of healthy and unhealthy food and relating to cost? Well, that's, that's a very big point. And for us in the US, getting healthier food is sometimes more expensive, is more expensive. Okay. Sadly, the cheapest foods that we can consume are junk foods that are packed with preservatives, sugars, and fillers. And that is the biggest problem with the United States is because the people that don't have money, the only food they can buy is not good for you. So they perpetuate the health issues, the overweight issues. You don't think as well when you eat junk. Everything ties in. So the poorest in our country don't have the opportunities really to get better because of their, not their economic situation, but what the foods they're allowed to eat. In the United States now, the move towards better grown food for organic food. People are crazy. They sit up all night. Like for the longest time, when I looked for meats, it was free range or free roaming, you know, that kind of a, well, in the United States, that means now that there might be a door on the barn that the chickens can go out if they choose to. All right. Insane. So I look for Now the key word is free roaming, pasture raised. <laughs> they actually have to be outside. And then they can keep changing, trying to figure out ways to fool the people. You know, it's stupid. It really is. But there's an asymmetry there. Oh. <laughs> if, if you say something that's bullshit, that's not adding any value objectively to the food, but will maximize the sales. And when you are caught and people realize that that or organic or whatever term you were using to try to fool people in the short term, people in the long term will not make you pay the consequences of what you did to the market. People don't really look backwards and say, no. now that we know what the correct answer was to this thing that was claimed to be the correct thing, now we live in a society in which doesn't look backwards to retrospectively oh. analyze what happened. We're constantly in the new thing. Now, this is the election. This is COVID. Whatever is happening now is the only relevant thing. Nothing in the past is relevant, so we shouldn't analyze it. That's like the implicit message that I get from media. Oh, yeah. I think there's two gross problems in the world. One is media, and the second are lawyers. Oh, yeah. And they're not all bad. I don't want to go there, but I'm saying they have caused more issues than 
you know, can be accounted for. It's just crazy the way things go. Social media can be used to really make things even crazier. We've seen that in our country big time. It's just not good. So we had a law that they tried to pass here in the United States. They call it the Dark Act. And that was the nickname for it because we wanted all the companies to tell us on the label what was in the product. Now, the company, I think it was PepsiCo, which has Quaker Oats. We just want to know, are those oats genetically modified? No one ever said, we're going to stop buying them. It was never, oh, we're never going to use your product again once we find out. So we just want to know, is it? Tell us. And in Europe, they do tell you. And they said, oh, it'll cost too much. I says, well, you print the labels in Europe, just start using those labels. You know, what's it going to cost? A tenth of a cent more to change it? You know, it's crazy. So they defeated that and they didn't have to do it. So it was labeled the dark act in the United States because it was keeping everybody in the dark. Oh, wow. That's unfortunate. That happens when a collective is able to organize themselves better than the opposition. Oh, yeah. Well, again, not enough people really realize the implications. They have sold us on genetically modified because we need it to feed the masses. They're lying to us in a way. And, see, and I'm not against genetically modified. I think some of it's very good. And it's your personal choice again, if you want it or you don't want it. But don't lie to us about why you have it. Be transparent. And we have a big problem with transparency. Yeah, I think there is a big problem with transparency. Let's move now into the topic I wanted to discuss with you. What do you think of simplifying diet? To the extreme, the position that I used to support that I'm now maybe transitioning towards increasing the complexity of food was, I'm trying to do a steel man of my position that I had a few months ago. It was basically, if you do a kind of mashed potatoes mixed with a lot of things that will give you nutrients that have been previously pulverized and made a, a homogenous soup, that will be good enough in order to give you the nutrients that you require. And you, by getting that, will be increasing the efficiency of the food intake. You will not actually need to masticate and do the physical process. But now I'm realizing that the physical process is required in some way. So maybe with a chewing gum or, I don't know, that could be substituted in some way. But what I used to believe is that simplifying everything and reducing the cost the most you can by giving the people the lowest cost per nutrient possible will increase the efficiency and will be net positive. What's your position against that? Well, I think in some instances, that would be a very good thing, you know, for terms of where you can't carry food, where you can't keep that much food in. So, I mean, I think in, in some instances, like for our soldiers, for space flight, for instances where you have to compact and you're, or, or just maybe I don't have time to go out for lunch, but I want something that'll give me the nutrients. So maybe then I do want that pill. Okay. So I can work. And then, then again, that's a personal choice. But when I sit down to dinner, then it's a time to relax, to unwind, to socialize. Food is very social. I think that has what one thing that we see when we go to Europe, like I'll, I'll find my wife at a table speaking to people she doesn't speak the language with. Because they, they told her to come over and, and drink, you know, we were in Germany, have, you know, we were at a beer garden and where is she? You don't speak German, you know, but she's having a good time. Food transcends language, transcends differences. You can get all different kinds of people sitting down. So if you take the joy out of all of the food, I think as a society, it's going to make us less gregarious. It's going to make us not want to be as social. but Everything has its place. And I think everything in moderation. I, I would love maybe a lunch or a breakfast that I did not have to spend time over that would give me the nutrients and that would also satisfy the hunger. That's always the big thing. You can take that little pill that'll give you all the nutrients, but I'm still hungry. So that pill has got to also, besides give you the nutrients, you know, satiate your appetite so that you're not hungry. We could ever do that. There would not be as many fat people. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that the fat epidemic that is going on in in the U.S. is basically due to a maladaptation to our current environment. We were yeah. never supposed to be dealing with an environment that has plenty of calories and 
oh. and it's fat and sugar. So now that we have, we are mal- maladapted to it. So the yeah. maladaptation to our current environment is mostly the answer to every problem we have. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and again, in the United States, it's plenty. You know, we eat meat like nobody's business, you know, and protein. The plate would be full of the meat rather than the vegetables. So now they're trying to get everybody back in the thinking of, you know, the meat should be one third of the plate and the vegetables should be the rest. We don't need that much protein. But for years, you know, we sell double everything's triple. You can get two of these big patties on it or three of them if you really want to eat. So we eat more meat than humanly we should. And because of how the world has gotten so small now, and we can have whatever we want when we want it. So it doesn't matter if it's in season where our bodies were made to eat what was local and what was in season. You know, that's why fat was not bad because in you wanted that fat so the winter time your body would live while you didn't have as much food. You know, and now we just that fat comes all year long and we don't have to worry about it. So it doesn't go away. It's crazy. The environment has definitely played a big part. Environment and society has played a big part in how we Okay, let me make a small remark. I wasn't implying that my method of increasing the efficiency of the nutrient intake would be applied massively to 100% of the food intake that you would do. There's a term in economics called the diminishing return of the marginal unit, Mm -hmm. in which you, for example, in a glass of water, I always explain this with this example. You drink the first glass of water when you are thirsty, it satisfies you a lot, the second less, the third one less, and it comes to a moment in which you would die if you you drank one more. So something similar happens with this kind of efficiency. The first unit of the least convenient unit of food that you had to prepare, that's the first one. If you had available this pill or, or this ultra-efficient way of getting your nutrients, it will satisfy you a lot. But if you start increasing the amount of food that you get this way, it will come a moment in which it is simply not worth it. So you have to calibrate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, great. I understood that too. I didn't think, you know... Anyone would be ready, although there are people that would just take the pills and they would want the pills. And if one pill was good, two pills is better. Yeah. You know, that's just how we think, you know, and it's it's hard to stop thinking that way sometimes that more is better, more is better, you know, especially in the US. It's it's just the philosophy we've grown up on. If one is good, two is better. And if you have two, I went three. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lovely. What what would you say is the food that in terms of investment to return of how much health and well it depends obviously you don't need the exact same kind of nutrients that i need so there's there, there mm-hmm. has to be an adaptation there but for example you've worked in schools you don't you cannot adapt to the individual in those situations you might be able to adapt quantitatively but not qualitatively because the fat, big guy who wants more mashed mm-hmm. potatoes can be given some more. And the guy who's skinny and doesn't really need so many nutrients, you might be able to leave him not eat everything that he has on mm-hmm. the plate. So maybe that quantitatively, it's easy to adapt. But if that adaptation qualitatively is not available, what alternatives would you give? Or do you think there's not really a need of qualitatively adapting to the individual because our biology is perfect in producing or converting certain elements into some other not elements but compounds there some b- vitamins and some carbohydrates your body can store it or not self-regulate it or what do you think of that well i i think in the case of the fit person not necessarily thin but the fit person their body knows what it needs and your body will stop when you if i say i'm not hungry my body doesn't necessarily it knows it doesn't need food Okay, where the person that's overweight, their body has been trained to just consume more. It becomes like an addiction where if they did not have enough carbohydrates, their body starts craving it. This is like a cigarette. You know, when you stop, your body starts craving it. So it's the same thing with food. So it's hard for that person, even though they're trying not to eat, to not eat because their body keeps going, oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. You know, you have to feed me. So in the course of a school, it becomes difficult in the terms of what you're feeding. And I, I think it comes down again to the people that run the kitchen, that work in the kitchen, that see these kids every day and have a better understanding. When the overweight kid comes and says, I'm still hungry, can I have some more mashed potatoes? You say, well, how about an apple instead? You know, maybe you give a mashed potato some of the time, but not every day. 
and you say, all right, I don't have any more. Would you like a bunch of grapes or would you like an apple? Would you like a pear? How about some fruit instead? You know, you try and move them. But again, that comes down to whether you have really good people working in that department or what the budgets, you know, some of these places are so poor, they don't have any extra or the only extra they have is here, have some bread with butter on it because we got lots of that, you know, and they give them the bad things. And again, you just perpetuate it. So there's no easy fix. I wish there was. And the problem in our school system is that mostly was women in the kitchens back when I went to school. It was all women working and they were housewives or mothers. So they had an idea of what to feed. As time went on, I always say the worst thing that ever happened to the world was sliced bread. Because once they made sliced bread and put it in packages in the United States, then we needed lunch meats. Then we needed cans of food. Then we needed all these other things. So everything came after sliced bread because it was easy. And we started building on that. Where when you were baking bread and you were coming and you were slicing it as you need it, it wasn't as readily available. So in the kitchens, the same thing happened. In the 70s, we started mass producing things, putting them in cans and putting them pre-prepared. So these people in the kitchens don't know how to cook. They know how to open cans. They know how to take things out of the freezer. They don't know how to cook. So when you ask them, hey, instead of buying that, let's make it, they don't know how. Or it takes too much time. And where they used to have four people in the kitchen when they open cans and take boxes out of the freezer, they only need two. So now you tell those two people they have to make everything. They don't have time or knowledge. So that's what we're fighting here in the United States. We're trying to bring that back to where they can get more employees. But again, you know, the schools, the budgets, it, it all goes in a big circle. And then food rises, the price of food rises. So you're adding to labor, you're adding to the cost of food and eating better food costs more because we don't mass produce it. We, we talk, started to talk about that before. When there's more demand for good food and they make more good food, the price will come down a little. So that's, that's what we're fighting. And the price of organic food is starting to come down. It used to be ridiculously expensive. Now it's just expensive. And, you know, it's starting to come down. In some cases, it's not very much more at all. The economy of scale permits the unit to be cheaper. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's just what we have to get back to. I went to Ireland a few years ago. They asked me to come over and help. They said, Dennis, can you dispel the myth the Irish don't know how to eat? And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. I went to Ireland, and from the first meal to the last meal, it was exquisite. It was incredible. The food was amazing. And what I found there was what we call the big movement in the United States is farm to table. You know, it's a big, oh, it's great. It comes right from the farm. We cook it right here and we serve it to you. Well, that's dinner there. That's simply dinner. And, and most of Europe, that's dinner. It comes from the farm. You know, I would talk to someone. I said, well, th that cheese came down from three stores down. Uh, the guy makes it himself. Uh, that fish, I saw the fisherman this morning. He brought it in. We don't have that, you know? The only fisherman the United States knows, I don't know if you have seen it, it's a frozen box, it's called Mrs. Paul's. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yep. What do you think of intermittent fasting? I think that's good. You know, and I have done it a lot during my life. I haven't done it lately, but I have done it a lot during my life. And I think cleaning out toxins, giving your body, and not just you know food, but and like if you're taking medicine sometimes, you know, as long as it's not going to kill you, going off the medicine for four or five days to let it, it'll work better when you come back to it. And the same thing with uh, intermittent fasting, you know, if you can get rid of some of the things your body is storing, clean them out. I believe a lot in the Chinese philosophies of medicine. Now, I, th I think Western medicine is great, but the Chinese philosophy is when they give you an herb or they do it, some kind of treatment is the toxins come out where the Western philosophy of medicine is we give you a pill so you don't feel the problem yeah. to mask it, where they want it to come out. I've been, after herbs and stuff, I have been so sick, but the, the toxins coming out of your body. Acupuncture the same way. Sometimes you get so sick, but it's your body getting rid of it. So intermittent fasting, will do the same thing. You know, it'll get rid of some of the, the stuff that's in your body that your body doesn't need. 
It's like the hangover after having dr oh. drunk alcohol. Yeah. It's your body telling you, well, you shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and you listen till the next time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you are familiar with Nassim Taleb and his philosophy. Do you know Nassim Taleb? No, I don't. Author. Okay. Never mind. I will do a short explanation of. He's got an idea. One of his principal ideas is anti-fragility. He's got the, one of his books from Inserto. There's, there's a saga of a few books. And it was basically that there's many things in the world that are anti-fragile. Fragile means something that can break easily or can right. deteriorate easily. An anti-fragile thing is that it benefits from chaos. And I think that humans are partially anti-fragile. That fluctuations in the amount of sugar in the blood... Mm -hmm makes you get stronger and better. The same thing happens with the gym. Why do you have to deteriorate your body and your muscles in the short term in order to make them grow stronger in the long term? Because of natural anti-fragility. Use it or lose it. So in that way, I think that those fluctuations that you get that are bigger in the times that you are doing intermittent fasting allow your body to go into a point that we are supposed to go yeah. evolutionarily. But you, by getting all the food constantly, are not allowing your body to go low enough so you activate those defense mechanisms and your body is just like passive and not really operating at its optimal point. Oh, absolutely. We push our bodies to a point and we abuse our bodies because we do not allow our body to do what it's intended to do. And, and the sad thing is that most of us know that, but we do it anyway. You know, it's like I've been in nutrition all of my life. I know what I should need. I still have all this extra weight. I know better. But knowing and doing are two different things. Sometimes you need that a friend to do something with to challenge each other, which is good to have a, a not a workout buddy, but someone who'll hold you accountable for certain things. I have never had that. I've been an athlete most of my life. And as an athlete, you consume mass quantities of food because your body needs it. And then when you stop being an athlete, well, you still consume mass quantities of food that your body doesn't need anymore, sadly. But yeah, we're not as fragile. Our bodies are machines and we don't service them well, let's put it that way, because the body should be able to handle almost anything you can throw at it, you know, and we don't, but we have it in such bad shape that it's just limping along, you know, where it could get 50 miles to the gallon of gas. It's happy to be getting like 15. I says, Hey, we're still working here. My wife had an artery that no one saw that was had a 90% blockage. And it comes, some of it's genetic, but it comes from, and she's not heavy at all. She's real thin. It comes from the lifestyle of what they ate. She's Polish. So they had a lot of, you know, different sausages and things that maybe over the time contributed to this. So you know, some of it's genetic again, some of it's learned, and we've somehow forgotten the fact that we need to listen to our bodies more. Do you know what I believe to be the origin of why this sort of hypocrisy occurs in which you want to live by a standard that's objectively better, but you end up failing in every single moment of the day by eating the thing that you don't aspire to live by? I think that the origin of this is the exact same reason why being a heroin addict makes you consider each and every second of your life. There's not a single point in your life in which consuming heroin is not worth it. And the same thing happens with eating junk food or smoking. There's not a point in your lifetime in which the next dose is not going to add value to your life in the short term. It's yeah. obviously bad in the long term, but if you only take into account the short term, it's good. And there's no point in your life in which that changes. So you have no. to take into account the whole system in order to be able to do the correct reasoning. And the incapacity that we have to plan in the long term, I would say that it is biased biologically. But no matter what the origin is, I'm saying that the reason why we fail to live up to our higher standards is that there's not a single point in which doing the right thing is right. Even... <laughs> If the right thing is taking into account the whole system, the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can see that with, you know, people that have lung cancer and they're still smoking, you know, whatever f mentality you use, whether it's, well, I'm going to die anyway, or I haven't died yet. 
you know, kind of a thing. But you're absolutely right. And that's, I think, because we don't have strong wills. We really don't. And we're pleasure seekers. And we want to feel better because when we feel better, even if it is in the short term, I'm having a really crappy day. I just found out that, you know, because of this extra weight, I'm going to have a reason to get this, this, and this. Uh, but oh, that cheeseburger will make me feel a lot better. You know, the cheeseburger is the only one that understands me. <laughs> yeah. It will make you feel better. But yeah, short term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But how are you going to tangibly perceive the cost of the long term? You cannot. Uh, so you have to reason about it. Yeah. One of the things that I see more and more is that the cost of good food, people weigh, well, I don't want to pay for all that now. And it says, okay, but guess what? When you're older, you're going to be paying for it in medicine and doctor's visits and in your health. So pay now or pay later. That's not as tangible. Yeah, I know. That's because you don't want to look that far in the future. When I was, I wrestled most of my life and the doctor once told me, he says, if you keep this up, my knees were real bad. You won't be able to walk when you're 40. And I was in my thirties and I went, well, I have seven more years then leave me alone. <laughs> you know, and now, oh, I, I made it past 40, but now my knees are really bad. I just had one replaced. So, but when you're younger and it's something that's built into us that we're, we're invincible. And because your body is so strong, it can take almost anything. And then that belief system gets ingrained. And when you hit your 40s and 50s, your body starts going, yo, time to slow up. And we're going, no, <laughs> I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. I think that we don't really realize that we are mortal until we are 30. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize it, I think, till I was midway through my 40s. And then it started to hit me. And even in through my 50s, then when I hit 60, things started going, Ugh. so I'll be, I'm 60, I'll be 69 this year and I'm, I'm still fighting the fight though. I'm trying to stay in it. Oh, wow. What life experience do you have dealing with biases that can make the long-term cost of your habits tangible so the predisposition to do the thing that is objectively and taking into account the whole thing correct will be the thing done i think looking back you know again you don't ever want to dwell in the past i had someone once tell me says the past is the past you can't change it the futures you don't know about too much so living in the now is all that's important living in the now is important but if you don't think about the future you might not have a future so last when the pandemic hit two things happened i realized that i forgot that i love to cook because we were going out to eat too much. So I started cooking and cooking and baking and cooking. And next thing I know, my blood sugar is through the roof. So I said, whoa, no, I got to stop that right now. So I at least had the willpower to stop eating bread, eating sweets, and limiting my intake. My blood sugar came down. But if you don't have that understanding or that willpower, or even know to test it, like some people don't even know what it is. They don't go to the doctor. So they don't have a bias to base that on. You have to think about how do I want to live? You know, for me, the big requirement is as long as I can still go to the bathroom by myself, I'm okay. You know, <laughs> if I hit a year in my life where I'm in the bed and I go, okay, come get it. You know, <laughs> uh, no, I'm done at that point, I think. But keeping your body healthy and looking towards the future. And it's a matter of, I just had back surgery. So I want to get back in the gym and start working on my strength again a little bit once I'm ready. But you have to think about the tangible steps that you can do to stay active. And if I could have thought about it when I was your age and believed that I needed it, that would have been the biggest gift anyone could have given me. But at your age, again, we're like, oh, I got a lot of time. You know, it's like we spend the first third of our life raising hell and having a good time. The second third of our life, we start thinking about how we're going to live this, the last third of our life. And if we didn't think about it in the second, third, last third of our life isn't going to be pleasant. So I don't know if that answered the question or not, but. Yeah, I think you did. Do you know the serenity prayer? Uh, yeah, to grant things I can change. Yeah, God grant yeah. me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Yes. I think yeah. this perfectly resembles what you just said. You have to be able to know what not to change and be willing to accept the things that have already happened, that 
there's no point in the, in debating about how many failures you had in the past if it's not about improving your future performance. Yeah, yeah, it's just, and, and a lot of people have a hard time with that because all they think about is what could have been. I could have been president. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, thank God. <laughs> there's a lot of things you could have been, but it's more important about what, sh- what you could be and what, you know, how the rest of your life is going. I, I feel very, very fortunate, you know, to be where I am now. I have health problems, but I feel very, very fortunate to be alive, to be happy, to be able to exist. You know, cost of gas is getting crazy in the United States. And I'm doing well enough with my blog. And I tell my wife, says, you know, we're, we're fortunate. We can pay for it. There's a lot of people that cannot. So it's, you know, be happy. And when I was teaching in the culinary, when I was teaching my girls how to cook at high school, the one thing I always told them says, you know, remember how fortunate you are. We're playing with food. We're having a good time. There's people that don't have food to eat. For me, that has always been a very important thing in my life that I remember. I mean, that's the charities I give to as always as food and animals are the two things I always donate to. But you have to be aware of how blessed you are. And I think if you don't know how blessed you are, it's hard to think about the future because you're just living again for the moment constantly. I think there's a layer more of blessing that we don't realize below the one you just mentioned. Obviously, we are part of the worst. We are the richest people which have ever existed. We are super blessed by the mere fact of being part of the West in the 21st century. You're absolutely right. But there's one more layer of blessing beneath that. We exist. How many billions of people don't exist? An infinite amount of people don't exist. So the fact of being conscious and aware and just existing is potentially an infinite amount of more blessing than the fact of being in the top 1% of the oh, yeah. whole population. Yeah. The two together is a very good thing. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend yesterday and he was saying his, his stress test came back good, which was good news, bad news. It means he goes, I guess I'm just getting old. And I said, well, you know, Tom, I said, the options, you have two options at this point, get old or don't. I How? said, getting old, die, you know? Boom. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I said, so the other option isn't very attractive. I said, so getting old sounds pretty good. If you take into account the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically it. So every morning you wake up, you know, it's going to be a good day. You know, I know there's days that I had so much pain. I didn't think that way, but you know, it's still, I think at this point it still beats the alternative. I can understand where the pain gets so great with some people that they don't have that will and they, they're ready. And again, it's a personal decision. It's everyone has the right to decide for themselves. I'm a firm believer. I may not agree with what you want to do, but you have the right to do it. First Amendment. Yeah. Free speech. Even above that, it's just, it's more than the laws governing it. I think it's just human. Whether you believe in God or not, it's a God-given you know, or, or in something, the universe gave us that right. We have that right to exist. We have that right to make our decisions. And, you know, you may try to change my mind, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to. And I have to live with the fact that it's okay. You know, we can still be friends. You know, if you like this politician and I like this politician, it doesn't mean we have to hate each other. And unfortunately, in the United States, a lot of that's going on. It's like, uh, it's, it's almost like time for a civil war because brothers were fighting against brothers because their beliefs are so different. They forgot. And I think that comes back to, well, let's sit down and have dinner together, you know, and let's forget all that. And let's just enjoy good food, have a drink, relax, be happy, and think about all the good things we have rather than dwell on what could be with somebody else or what was or who caused what whose fault it is and whose problem it is. It's just, uh, you know, just try and fix it yeah. and move on. What you're complaining about is about the current culture that's trying to force everyone to agree. But what you're, what you're, I think, advocating for is forcing everyone to agree to disagree. Yes. Yeah. I think like in our politics, in our Congress and Senate, the Democrats sit on one side, the Republicans sit on another side. I said, I would stop that. They have to, every other, 
and and you have to eat with each other. You can't yeah. eat in groups anymore. You have to be nice to each other. You have it's like being in a school with little kids. You know, you have to play nice, or you're gonna you're not gonna play at all. We're gonna send you to to a room. <laughs> and I think we need to do that with politicians sometimes because they forget that they were friends or they could be friends or oh, it's just nuts. What do you think of the carnivore diet? I've heard Jordan Peterson, his daughter Michaela Peterson. Also, this this other podcaster called Lex Friedman. He's also on the carnivore diet, which is basically steak and salt and water. <laughs> what do you think of that? Does it well, generate the benefits that it does to certain types of people only? Or is it that it accelerates the speed at which you age so you feel good in the short term, but you are burning the candle from both ends so that you feel better in the short term, but it's actually at a higher cost. What's your point I, of view? I don't think the carnivore diet in long term could be good at all. You know, there's most diets, you know, the ones that are presented to us in the long term are not very good because they're fads or there's trends or there's things that people are thinking. But it's proven that if we eat too much protein, if we don't have the other stuff, that our bodies are going to deteriorate. We need other items. And I once was told you could live on mung beans and brown rice, you know, because they complain, contain everything you need to eat. But I think eating too much meat is probably one of the worst things you can go. I, I think being a vegan is probably a lot healthier than that. And I, I, I still don't understand a lot of it, but being a vegan, why you would you know do that, but, um, or things they eat. But I think the carnivore diet, no, I, I don't understand how that could be good. Salt is good. Your body needs salt but it doesn't need too much salt. Your body needs protein, but it doesn't need too much protein. You know, I, I think when the humans started to evolve, we lived on grains that were complete proteins. Okay. And people say we were not meant to eat meat. Well, then why do we have these carnivore teeth? You know, we have teeth to, to tear meat apart. I don't know. You know, there's, there's a lot more brilliant people than me that have, have studied this and, and know I like meat, but as I get older, I can't eat as much. Mm. So it's a matter of how your what your body's telling you. And if you don't listen to your body, if this guy, and he may be genetically okay with eating nothing but meat, and it might have worked for him, just because it worked for him doesn't mean it's going to work for the masses. And if he sells them on, look at me, I'm cut, I'm buff, I'm healthier, and all the doctor's tests say I'm in great shape. Well, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for me. And now he's telling me and I'm going to try it because I want to try the newest, best thing, the next best thing. I'm, it's going to work for me. You know, this one's going to work this time and ends up making me sicker. So, so the, you know, so the distribution of people in the society is broad enough that a single standard doesn't fulfill everyone. Oh, oh no. Oh, hell no. Everybody's different. 50% of something may work for everyone. But that last 50% needs to be refined. You know, 75% may work for everyone, but that last 25% or 10% or 5% needs to be refined to your personal body because the body's a machine and it's different. We're all, you know, before when everyone was from Scandinavia and everyone was from Africa and everyone was from China, the bodies were more attuned to that. But now that everybody has blended together, and we all have different parts of everyone in us. Our bodies are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to eat. You know? <laughs> and if you can't figure it out, you know, now that you can take a blood test that tells you what you're supposed to eat, you know, they take tests and say, okay, because of your body's makeup, you should have this percentage and this percentage. I don't know. Is that real? Is that true? Maybe it is. But again, I think it just comes down to listening to your body and everything in moderation. We have forgotten that word moderation. It's always excess. Aristotle said something about this relating to that, that moderation is the ultimate virtue. Yeah. Yeah. You can do anything if, if it's in moderation. It's when we get carried away, you know, nothing in moderation is going to, well, maybe something, but not a lot of things in moderation are going to kill us. So should you moderate moderation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to moderate moderation. Yes. You, you just need to learn self-control. If like I stopped eating desserts pretty much, but every now and then, you know, it'll be like, ah, do you make any, when we go out to eat, 
do you make any desserts in house? And they'll say, yes. I says, all right, I'll try a piece of that. But, you know, again, it's not something I will normally do anymore. But if you crave it, if you want it, denying yourself at that point is only going to make you want it more. So for us, it's learning, like I'll always split a dessert with my wife, you know, that way I don't have to eat the whole thing. So at least I'm satisfying the craving without getting carried away, you know, and maybe I want something fried. Okay. I'm going to eat something fried, but I'm not going to eat something fried every day. You know, I'm in the land of cheesesteaks. I don't know if you've ever heard of a cheesesteak. No. In Philadelphia, they make a sandwich on a long roll, like a submarine roll, we call them. And they take chopped beef and they, they cook it on a stove and then they put cheese on it. Some people put liquid cheese on it and they put it on that roll and you eat it and it's delicious. But if you eat them every day, you know, it's not going to be good. But once every couple of weeks, if you have a craving, you know, and they even make them with chicken now. So if you don't want to eat the beef, you can have a chicken cheese steak. But it's again, it's moderation. But when you're younger, that could be lunch every day with an order of French fries. Yeah. And a and the biggest, they sell sodas now in the biggest sizes you can imagine. You know, it's, they're just like 64 ounce cup of soda. You know, it's like a half a gallon. You know? what, what's that in the in international meter, in international uh, standard? That would be like two liters. Two, two liters. Yeah, a two liter cup of soda. No way. That's way yeah, too a, much. A one liter is normal. One liter is a normal size. 30, we have 32 ounce. They go, they used to go. 12 ounces, which would be like a third of a liter to, to 16 to 24. And then all of a sudden we started getting 32s. They were called monster. And now all of a sudden you see 64 ounce, you know, you got to carry it out like this. Are you supposed to drink that in a single lunch? Oh yeah. And maybe go get a refill because they're free. Oh wow. That, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Dennis, it's been lovely. My brain has just exploded a bit. <laughs> With how bad people calibrate how much food you should be getting in the US now, but it's yeah. been lovely, Dennis. I, I love that. Where can people find more about you? Well, I am askchefdennis.com. And if you're on social media, I'm askchefdennis pretty much on all social media. Perfect. I will put the links in the description. Great. I had a great time talking to you today. This was a lot of fun, Alex. Thanks for having me on.